one of the things that helps me to stay engaged in a more sustained way is taking the perspective that climate change, it's extraordinarily painful and it's also an opportunity to live into our values and to you know live a life of, of meaning and, and service and purpose. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future. Or we like to call it HAT for short. And you, my dear listeners, are our Mad Hatters. HAT is an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation. Whether you're a planet-conscious parent, groovy grandparent, fab foster carer, terrific teacher, awesome auntie, or any other member of the extended family. We're having conversations with leading doers, thinkers, and shakers in climate action that will inspire you to stay optimistic, feel part of an ever-growing movement, and take actions that fit into your busy lives. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. So, who are we? I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent, and co-host of this podcast. I'm the one providing the Aussie accent. And I'm Helen Hill, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. The one with a very exotic British Bolton accent. Hello, and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Elizabeth Pichard, a coach, author, former clinical research coordinator, and a graduate student in public health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. After becoming a mother, she became passionate about the intersection between climate change and family resilience. She's the author of Parenting in a Changing Climate, Tools for Cultivating Resilience, Taking Action, and practicing hope in the face of climate change. She's also a senior policy analyst at Mums Clean Air Force. She lives in Durham, North Carolina, with her husband and young twins. This episode is supported by Mums Clean Air Force, a community of over 1 million parents united against air and climate pollution to protect our children's health. In this conversation, we'll talk about parenting in a changing climate, making climate action a habit, and practicing hope. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Very excited to have you on because read your book, have absolutely loved it. It's incredibly helpful and and powerful. And mm. you know, the way that you talk about parenting in a changing climate, you do it with such thought and such beautiful words and such meaning and mm. your introduction it ends with some beautifully written words which I'd like to read out center our conversation in the context of climate change bringing our lives as parents into alignment with our values around the environment may be among the most important journeys we'll ever undertake parenting is hard parenting in a changing climate is harder but we can do this together and I believe we can and will rise to the challenge of engaging fully in climate action while raising the children we love so much. They're counting on us and we can't let them down. Hmm. Elizabeth, what's your story of waking up to climate change? You know, for me, I've always been someone who tried to be environmentally conscious, you know, from a young teenager, you know, I became a vegetarian at age 14 and, and environmental issues were kind of always on my radar, at least in the background, but I, I really didn't wake up to, to climate change in a serious way until after becoming a mother. And I had, 
twins in, in 2016 after kind of a, a, a long and winding journey of, of uh, trying to become a parent. And I think with, with anybody who has a baby, um, especially if there's more than one baby at a time, yeah, the first year or so of parenthood is kind of a fog, right? You're exhausted, you're not sleeping well, it, it's, you know, you're kind of underwater uh, in a lot of ways. But I remember in 2017, as I was beginning to emerge from that you know, early fog of a new motherhood, I was starting to notice more and more climate headlines in the news, you know, just, you know, new reports that were coming out and new, you know, more intense disasters that were happening. And so it was kind of, you know, bubbling up to the surface of my awareness. Um, and around the same time, you know, I was doing some some coaching at the time for people who were navigating infertility and pregnancy loss, which had been part of our journey. And it was around that time that I started to hear these whispers of climate anxiety coming up in my clients as well. So that also piqued, piqued my interest because it wasn't something that I had heard before. But then in 2018, there was a series of events that really... Uh, kind of brought the climate crisis very close to home in a way that just completely broke my heart open. And it started with my grandmother's death in the summer of 2018. And she and I were very close. Um, she lived her whole life in Wilmington, North Carolina, which for listeners who don't know the geography of North Carolina, Wilmington is on the coast. It's a frontline community for hurricanes. And so, you know, hurricanes kind of always been a part of North Carolina life. And I was already kind of primed with grief for my grandmother's death in June of 2018. And, and just, you know, weeks after my grandmother's funeral, Hurricane Florence came through and directly hit Wilmington and devastated the community. And, you know, one of the moments I remember um, that really stands out for, to me from that time was seeing pictures on the, the news, uh, like the national news of the cemetery where we had just buried my grandmother, uh, you know, pictures of hurricane damage. And it just ripped my heart open to see, you know, to not only have lost my grandmother, to, but to have this sort of dawning awareness of losing a beloved place as well. And, you know, realizing that, you know, Wilmington was going to keep getting hit by hurricanes and being affected by sea level rise. So all of that really broke my heart. And then just a few weeks after that, there was the 2018 IPCC report that came out that was a wake up call for a lot of people. I think a lot of the parent activists who are, you know, doing such amazing work right now, I think, you know, the 2018 IPCC report was a big wake up call for them too. And I remember, at the time, one of the the headlines that got a lot of attention was this framing of the, the takeaway of the report is, as being that there were only 12 years left to address the climate crisis. And I remember thinking at the time, like, oh my gosh, like that, those 12 years are the same years of my kids' childhood. My twins were two at the time. You know, they wouldn't even be out of high school within that time frame. And that ripped my heart open. And I kind of had this dawning of, you know, acting on climate change and or figuring out how to be a part of climate solutions. It wasn't something that I could put off until a more convenient time in my life, right? You know, it's not like I could put it off until they were 
in middle school and maybe a little bit more self-sufficient or, you know, by then it would be too late. Right. So there was just this kind of overwhelming grief, but also this, oh my gosh, I have to do something about this now, you know, during parenthood, not, you know, after parenthood, that's where it kind of started for me. Those words you've just said right there really resonate with me actually about how you can't put it off to a more convenient time. And mm. I think that's, certainly a feeling that so many of us that you know want to take action absolutely resonate with mm. and as well as you know so many other aspects of your story can you tell us about how you can begin to come to grips with climate change as a parent well i think you know one thing that i have learned is that coming to grips with climate change as a parent or maybe anybody is is it's not a a one-time event it's a it's more of a spiral <laughs> process you know it's messy right i can think of you know moments in my life you know including sort of that time period that i just described and even probably now as well where i felt very much um attuned to the crisis and you know able to sort of take in the full magnitude of of what was going on and then there have definitely been times since then where i've kind of wanted to you know tune out and you know <laughs> distract myself and and then you know something will sort of jolt me back into the awareness so i think it's it's a process like coming to coming to grips with any loss is a process but i, I think that you know one of the things that helps me to stay engaged in a more sustained way is taking the perspective that climate change, it's extraordinarily painful and it's also an opportunity to live into our values and to you know live a life of, of meaning and, and service and purpose. And when I can hold on to that perspective, you know, which yeah, I don't want to paint the picture that I'm in that mental space all the time. <laughs> I am not, right? Sometimes I am. Sometimes I am just enraged or would like to distract myself with Netflix all the time. But when I'm able to sort of hold that perspective, like, okay, this this is a chance for me to do, you know, what I was meant to do in this lifetime, then it's easier to hold the reality of it and to stay engaged. Um, but I, I think that that process is probably different for everybody and probably always a little bit messy. Your comments just then resonated so much for me, Elizabeth. And I think mm. it is really messy. And I feel like it's such a roller coaster story from probably more of just squiggly lines that go round <laughs> and round. And there are these, all these different emotions. You know, there are moments where you get really encouraged by something or someone and it, it kind of feeds your belief that, you know, it's absolutely possible to make this change and keep on going. You'll read an absolutely doom-filled headline and it pulls you right back down mm. again. Yeah. Or you encounter someone who just thinks it's all too late and then you'll need something else to bring you back up. So I feel like it's this very active thing to try and keep pulling yourself back to that place of we can do this, we can change this, and where's my place in the action? Mm -hmm. And... What guidance would you give to parents who are trying to find their place in climate action? It's a great question. And I think the first, the first thing I would offer to parents who are trying to find their place is just deep compassion for how painful this is and uh, how hard it is. I, I think that, that often parents have very high expectations 
both of themselves, but also from our culture, right? I mean, there's so many expectations of parenting, and then you layer on the expectation of like being a climate activist in, you know, <laughs> in the ideal way on top of that. And it's, it's just so much to hold. So, you know, first, compassion. And then I think also, I cannot recommend strongly enough that parents should make it a priority to try to find community. You know, climate change is overwhelming. It's a collective problem and we were not meant to face this alone. But I think so many parents have um, experienced a lot of isolation in parenthood and maybe especially over the last few years of COVID when, you know, there's been um, isolation because of COVID precautions. I think parenthood was isolating before COVID, but, you know, climate change is, is something that we need community around. And so I would highly recommend that parents who are trying to find their way in the, in the climate movement find other parents to connect to or other people, even if they're not parents. So joining a climate group or, you know, finding a friend who you can talk to about these issues, um, even as simple as, you know, starting to sign up for some email lists, right? If you don't feel like you have the bandwidth to, to you know, fully engage in a community, just starting to remind yourself that there are other people and other parents who care and are trying to find their ways into action is so good for our psyches to remember that we're not alone. And then even better to have actual people around you who you can talk to about and, and be inspired by and share ideas with community just couldn't be, it couldn't be more important. I completely agree with that. And I think mm. because especially there are parts of your life where climate change isn't talked about or it's not a focus or mm -hmm. it just almost feels like it's not even happening in certain parts of your life sometimes. I find that community so helpful as well. And just to know that there are so many people out there who do get it, who do care and who are trying to make their contribution whatever that might look like for them mm -hmm. and there are so many different groups out there I think to, you know no matter what you care about and that I think is very encouraging you know if you're a surfer there are surfers for climate action if you're mm -hmm. a doctor there are adopters for the environment you know there, there are all these different parts of people's identities where if that's you know one of the biggest things you care about you can join a group in that way which I think is is really really helpful and helps people to find a place that resonates with them. Mm -hmm. And I guess you do use a phrase from the, the mindfulness teacher, John Kabat-Zinn, in your book about the utter chaos of parenting tiny humans, which just made me laugh, full catastrophe living. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and life with little people can feel absolutely mad. So it just it really, really resonated with me. And I think when you were talking earlier about, you know, the inconvenience of trying to, to act on the climate when you're in this very busy insane part of your life anyway is so true what are your thoughts around how we can balance parenting and climate work that's a great question and you know six years into parenthood i am still experiencing the full catastrophe living every day you know the word balance is funny like you know i don't know if if i have ever felt like i have balanced things <laughs> And I think, you know, many pe parents and people struggle with the word balance, but I will say that, you know, what, what I have found that helps to make climate action within the context of parenthood doable is that right from the beginning, I, I, I tried to find ways of incorporating climate action into the activities of parenthood rather than trying to carve out, 
separate times and spaces for it, which I think was somewhat out of necessity, you know, because I, you know, was working full time and, you know, always had a lot going on. I didn't have the time to like, you know, dedicate a whole day to, you know, doing climate work. And I remember some of the things that I started out with a few years back with in terms of climate action were things like writing postcards to voters, which it was something that I could do while watching my kids, you know, while they were napping or, you know, while I was, you know, watching brainless TV in the evenings and <laughs> didn't have much mental bandwidth to to give to something, you know, after a long day of, of work and, and, and parenting. And as my kids got a little older, they could be engaged too by putting, you know, stickers on these postcards to voters. So it was something that I, I, I did um, while parenting and then with them as soon as I could. Um, so that it was something that, that they were a part of and not something that, that was taking time away from them. And another thing I remember doing that I, that I still do is you know making a habit out of of calling my representatives while I was at the playground um, because that was something that I was doing anyway you know pretty much at least at once a week taking my kids to the playground and you know as they were getting older they didn't didn't necessarily need me standing there hovering over them all the time and so I programmed my representatives names in my phone on speed dial and you know when I would get to the playground I would it would sort of cue this habit of like okay now it's time to call them and ask for climate action. And, you know, I've timed it before and it's, it's literally a two minute task, right? It, it's, it's something that I think seems intimidating to a lot of people before they get into a habit of it, but calling your representatives or clicking an email, you know, from, a, from an online petition to your senators or your representatives um, really doesn't take much time at all. And it can be done, uh, you know, while you are parenting. Um, and so I, I think, um, I've seen so many other examples too of, of amazing parent climate activists who incorporate their children into their climate action through art projects or going to protests, you know, if that's, you know, something that your family likes to do. So I would say, you know, finding ways, even if they seem really small and insignificant to bring climate action into your parenthood, rather than, you know, trying to find time on top of parenthood maybe more realistic for a lot of people. And I think it also has the added benefit of, of your kids are seeing you take action and you're normalizing that that what parents and grownups do is, is take action on climate rather um, than them not seeing that. So that's where I would start. How you can work this into the life you already have rather than piling it on top of the life you already have. I think that's a really great point and I hadn't thought about it that way before. I actually recently read um, Atomic Habits by James mm. Clear and he talks about yeah. habit stacking, you know, and if you have something you want to build into your life, attach it to something you already do all the time, like brushing your teeth. So that's great mm -hmm. to do it sort of in the playground where you just don't yes. need that <laughs> focus for a moment. That's great. Yeah, I, I love James Clear's work and I, <laughs> and I reference it in the book. A couple things I would say, one of the things is to start very small is much less overwhelming than, you know, committing to a huge goal all at once, right? So one of the metaphors um, that I find really resonant is this idea of like, running a marathon, right? Like, you, you know, if you are <laughs> not someone who has done that before, that could seem like a pretty overwhelming goal, but you start small, right? Like you start, first of all, by by thinking of yourself as someone who is a runner. And James Clear talks about this idea of identity-based habits, right? It's going to be pretty hard to complete a marathon. If you have committed to the idea that you are not a runner, you know, the first step might be shifting um, your identity a little bit to think of yourself 
as a runner. And then maybe you get proper running shoes and then maybe you, you know, look up a couch to 5k training program. And then, you know, maybe two times a week you go out and, and start to jog. And, you know, over time you, your running practice builds and you gain fitness and experience. Uh, and eventually, you know, over time you can run a marathon because you've, you've practiced and you've trained for it. And I think with climate action, you know, one of the things I, I recommend to people is to start thinking of yourself as a climate activist. If those particular words don't resonate with you, feel free to substitute them with words that do. But it's going to be pretty hard to take meaningful climate action if you have a story in your head of I'm not a climate activist or I'm not that kind of person or I'm too busy or I'm not a scientist. I'm not a researcher. You know, I think there's a lot of limiting beliefs that people have about, you know, what can qualify someone to be a climate activist. And, and most of the time, you know, when people have those beliefs that they, they are themselves somehow excluded, right, from the, from the people who can be climate activists. So I think starting to think of yourself in a way that embraces who you are, your actual life, your skill set, your resources and experiences as valuable contributions to the climate movement can help you to start to think of yourself as someone who takes action, and that's going to make it easier to to act, even if those actions start off really small, like you know, calling your representatives at the playground, or writing a postcard to a voter, or signing up for the email lists of a few local climate action groups. Those, you know, those are starting places. But if we can really embrace um, an identity of a climate activist or a change maker or whatever resonates with you, then, you know, more and more, it's going to be easier for us to take actions that align with that identity. And over time, you know, as we, you know, as we train for anything, you know, those actions get easier and we, and we gain skill and we figure out, you know, what, what excites us, what we're good at, you know, what, what actually works within the context of our life. So starting small, thinking of yourself as a climate activist and uh, thinking of it as a practice that can build over time, you know, those, are, those are great places to start. I really love that. And I think just reflecting as you were speaking, that whole idea of pulling it into your identity is, is really quite important because it's quite, such a shift. If you've never been that active and make change in some way, you know, it is quite a, quite a shift to think of yourself as taking action or being an activist. So I think you're completely right that the identity mm -hmm. part of things is, is really quite important. And I guess to flow on from that, what advice do you have around talking about climate change with other parents? Or as you put it in your book, what not to say in a mother's group? <laughs> yeah, don't do what I did. <laughs> the first time I tried to talk about climate change by way of warning, right? I'll, I'll share that, you know, when I first became aware of climate change, I was extremely anxious, extremely worried, and really didn't have a whole lot of skill in talking about climate change. There weren't very many resources at that time. Um, and whatever resources there may have been, I wasn't aware of. Um, and so I remember that the mom's group experience that I describe in the book is basically me kind of dumping out my existential fears about the fate of humanity with a group of uh, other unsuspecting mothers who were not prepared for that. And unsurprisingly, they did not want to have that conversation or were not ready for it. But I think in time, you know, I've, I've learned some more skills and, you know, a resource that I would highly recommend to anybody listening is Catherine Hayhoe's book, Saving Us. You know, she's an incredible 
climate communicator whose book I wish I had had several years back, you know, when I was just starting to become aware about climate change. But I think, you know, one of the things that Catherine Hayo talks about is the idea of communicating around values and shared values. And so uh, talking about uh, climate change in terms of what matters to you, like a shared love for your kids might be a place to start, you know, with other mothers sharing observations about how the climate has changed and sharing, you know, fears and emotions from a heartfelt way that isn't just dumping your, your terror fantasies, as one of my friend calls them, you know, onto other people who might not be ready for it. I think one thing that is even helpful in some instances is asking people permission to have conversations about really hard things in the sense of, you know, do you have the resources to listen to me talk about this today? It can be a helpful skill, especially in closer relationships, you know, a close friend who you might really want to process your climate fears with, you know, asking their permission to share um, fears that might seem really scary or dark can make that a smoother process for both people. But I'll underline again that I can't recommend Catherine Hayhoe's book uh, and work enough because I think she uh, describes an amazing skill set for talking about climate change in a values-centered values way with a range of people, including people who you know may not view climate change in the same way that you do. Yeah, that's a brilliant point about not pushing it onto people that aren't ready for it or not in the right mm. headspace. And I think, you know, we all have those days, don't we, where you just can't sometimes and you've got to mm. kind of protect yourself as well as, as the little ones. So I think that's a, that's a really great point that you've made there. And to go on from that, what gives you hope about the future then? Let's make it more positive. Where's the mm. hope come from? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I feel more hopeful now than I did even when writing the book, in spite of the fact that it has been quite a roller coaster in terms of, um, you know, the, the global climate world in the last year and a half or so. But I think one of the things that, that gives me hope is seeing the just profound dedication and commitment of other climate activists. And I've you know, met a lot of um, youth climate activists and parent climate activists and whether they're a parent or not, like are just deeply dedicated to just showing up for this movement, even without the certainty of any outcome, who are holding and practicing the belief that, you know, everything we do now can reduce some measure of suffering in the future for someone who is vulnerable. And that alone is absolutely worthy of showing up for, you know, regardless of what, what other outcomes may or may not happen. I think also, like, I've come to view hope as both something that's very courageous, but it's also a humble position to take, right? A lot of the the, the doom and the gloom that we see about climate change is quite arrogant, I think, right? Because it's, it assumes a certainty about future outcomes. And, you know, that's not to dismiss or downplay, you know, what climate scientists are telling us about what's likely to happen but you know there's still so much that we that we don't know that is really dependent on what we what we do or don't do in you know the next decade especially and to assume that certain outcomes are guaranteed uh, certain negative outcomes particularly particularly um, is really uh, can be a quite arrogant position to take and so I think of hope as a form of of courage but it's also a form of, of humility 
I think too, you know, there's, uh, there's been so many moments of synchronicity for me over the last few years where I really, both personally and, you know, in the climate movement where I, where I have felt connected to a sense of, of mystery and been humbled um, by how much I don't know about what's possible or not possible. And so I think, you know, sort of staying in that posture of hopeful humility of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to show up for this regardless of the outcome, because it's it's worthy of showing up for. And I'm seeing all these other people around me who believe that this is worth showing up for and are dedicating their lives to it in some way. That gives me hope. I'm more hopeful now than I ever have been in that sense. And Elizabeth, what do you feel the future could look like for the next generation if we get things right and we turn this around? One thing I imagine for the future and many people imagine for the future is a world where collective care is a bigger part of our reality. You know, collective care in our relationships, you know, communities that actively care for each other rather than communities where people just live near each other but don't know each other. You know, communities that are are, are actively supporting each other through extreme weather that, you know, is going to come, right? It's going to come and it is coming but communities that are ready for it and are actively caring for each other. But also, you know, I, I imagine policies that are caring, right? Like uh, pollution policies that are, that, are, that are caring towards future generations, policies that ensure that vulnerable communities have uh, infrastructure that provides shelter and care. So, you know, there's, there's so many different you know, ways that care could be expressed. But I think that is one of the things that I, you know, hold in my in my positive imaginings for the future. Yeah, so it's one of our final questions then. What would you say to our world leaders if you were given two minutes in a room with them? Ooh, what a question. <laughs> um, I would I would say to to them that they have an incredible opportunity to make a difference for for children who are alive now, for vulnerable communities, for future generations. I mean, they are in this profoundly uh, influential position to to make human life and non-human life better for generations upon generations to come, and that we are counting on them to use that opportunity wisely. Absolutely. And, and one last question, what would you like to tell the guardians of the next generation, you know, whether they're parents or whether they're carers, extended family, teachers, what would you like to leave them with? Hmm. I would want every guardian, and I love that word, to know that they matter in the climate movement. You know, it's so easy to feel insignificant to feel like our contributions don't matter or that we don't you know know enough or we don't have what it takes to make a difference but i i think all of that is ridiculous and i i personally believe that every single person who wants to be a part of this movement has a place and is is needed and important so i would tell you know every single care guardian listening you matter you are needed, and um, and if you are not already on board the climate movement, you know we are we are waiting to welcome you with with open arms. Yeah, absolutely, and I think 
Initially, I remember, you know, stepping into this world and thinking that you had to be an activist out there protesting on the streets. That was what you Mm -hmm. needed to do and use your voice in a very loud way, in a very physical way. But I just love that you can actually get involved in so many different ways. And there's a a framework that we talk about quite a lot at Be The Future from Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, that whole Mm -hmm. idea of her Venn diagram and the three Mm -hmm. questions around what brings you joy, where does your passion lie and where is there a need in climate Mm -hmm. action? And I think the brilliant thing about thinking about it in that way is that it means that you find something that you really enjoy doing and that you have skills in, but there's need in every part of society. And so, you know, whether you want to be, you know, helping people to reduce their food waste or starting to eat more plant-based meals and find that really, you know, delicious and nutritious or whether you want to encourage people to use more active transport, you know, there are so many different ways you can engage in this and some of them can feel more activist and some of them can feel a lot more you know, about other parts of your life. So there's very different ways this can look like too. And I love the way you've said, you know, we, we welcome you with open arms because that's mm. the thing. It, there's a million different ways that, that you can come into this. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. We really, really do appreciate it. And it's so lovely to get to chat to you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited that we got to connect and just really excited about your work. I think it's more, I mean, it's always been needed, but I just feel it's especially important right now and so i'm i'm deeply grateful for the work that i know that y'all are putting into this it is much appreciated thanks so much for joining us your initiation into the hatter tribe is now complete we really hope this episode inspired you and that you're coming back for more if it did please review subscribe and share this episode with a curious climate conscious friend it makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you And there's lots more where that came from. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our fabulous guest. And if you just can't get enough of us and manage to grab another few minutes peace in your day, do come hang out with us on social channels where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety and gloom into fun and playful action. And not forgetting you can regularly see us making a fool of ourselves on reels. Together we can hope, act, thrive.